Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing? Glad you guys are here today. How many of you remember the book about 20 years ago written by Kenneth Blanchard called The One Minute Manager? Anybody remember that book? A few of you. It was a best-selling book. And basically the idea was that in a company, what we should do is walk around or remind people uh, the purpose of the company. In other words, a one-minute uh, purpose or a one-minute goal setting. And then you should praise people publicly, a one-minute praising. And he said, just walk around all the time, just giving people a one-minute praising out loud, in public, telling people what they've done right. And I think that's such a good principle for today. Don't you think that would make a difference in your house? If you just walked around and gave your kids an occasional one-minute praising, hey, good job, way to go, you did that right, and here's what you did, or, or a one-minute praising for your spouse, or a one-minute praising here at church as you're walking around and somebody greets you well, somebody takes care of your kids, and you're like, hey, that was great, really appreciate what you did there. How many of you think that would make a difference and there would be a positive spirit around this place? And there already is, but that would make a big, big difference. And I think that would make a big difference these days because it seems like instead of one-minute praisings, we're pretty good about one-minute complainings, all right? And that happens. And, you know, you could be at home and your kid does something, but they don't do it right enough. And so there's a one-minute complaining or there's a one-minute criticism. And that happens in business. It happens in life. And by the way, it happens in our relationship with the Lord. There are just times where when we cry out to God, what we're saying to God is, God, this is your fault. God, I wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for you. God, why did you do it this way? Or maybe we're asking God for things all the time. And we don't take time to stop and just give God a one-minute praise. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in my life. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, praise your holy name. And that brings us to Psalm chapter 103. We're in this series called Love Psalms. And we're talking about today how love is compassionate, how God is the God of compassion and kindness who redeems us. And we, as a people, we respond by giving God praisings. And this is what it says in Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. A lot of people love Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. This is probably the second most popular of all the Psalms. In fact, you probably didn't realize that there have been hundreds of hymns written about Psalm 103. All the way back to the year 1525, a German pastor wrote a hymn based on this psalm. Johann Grumann called it, My soul now praise thy maker, let all that is in me bless his name. Fast forward to 1719, a hymn writer named Isaac Watts, who wrote about 750 songs of praise, wrote a song based on Psalm 103, and it's called, O bless the Lord, O my soul, his mercies bear in mind, forget not his benefits, who is to thee so kind, bless the Lord, O my soul. And so 
these hymn writers have captured something, which is that we should take time to give God those one-minute praisings and just say, God, you are so good. And what I'm going to do today is I don't have an outline. I'm just literally going to walk you through those first five verses in Psalm 103, 1 through 5. And we're just going to walk through how God has been so good to us and I'm appreciative of Josh Patterson's work on this text, which has helped me prepare. But David is the author of this psalm. And he writes, bless the Lord, O my soul. And that's how he starts the psalm. But by the way, that's how he ends the psalm. And you notice as he writes out the entire psalm, all 22 verses, that he starts by saying, God bless the Lord, O my soul. And in the middle, he invites the church, the congregation, bless the Lord, O our soul. And then it's so much praising, they can't even handle it. And now he's inviting all of creation to praise his holy name. And so I'll just say today, if you have a spirit sometimes of complaining, or maybe you have a spirit of forgetfulness and you forget to praise the Lord. Today, we're going to focus on God's benefits to us and how we just need to praise him. And he says, bless the Lord. The, the word Lord there is the word Yahweh, which means God is our promise maker and our promise keeper. He's the one who keeps the covenant to a thousand generations. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, Praise your holy name. And then he writes, forget not his benefits. In other words, let's take some time to remember. And so today, we're going to remember. Let's look back and see how good God has been to us. And when we remember that, it's going to cause us to praise his holy name. And so he's going to list out the benefits. And by the way, these are like waves on an ocean. When he shows you a benefit, he's going to give you a wave of benefit. And then the next wave is going to come. And the next wave is going to come. And he's going to show you another benefit of the Lord, another benefit of the Lord. Are these all the benefits? No. But he's going to give you wave after wave of benefit. And here's the first one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, because the Lord forgives all of your iniquities. How many of you remember what it was like to be stuck in your sin and iniquities? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember what it was like to have kind of that, that sense of I'm not forgiven, that sense of I'm not free, that sense of being shackled, imprisoned by your sin, addicted to something, orphaned and away? Do you remember that, what that felt like? Isaiah says in chapter 53 that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we are healed. And David is saying, don't forget the benefit. You have been forgiven. He forgives all your iniquities, not just the ones you've done in the past, the ones you are doing and the ones that you will do. Praise the Lord all because he forgives all of my sins. And guys, I stand up here not as a perfect man, but I am covered by the perfect son and what he did for me. And you're the same as I am. And it would be enough if David just said, let's just stop right there, wouldn't it? If he just said, forgive, you forgave all of our sins. How many of you know God's worthy to be praised just for that one thing? Just that alone. You forgive me, God, and I don't deserve it, and, but I sure need it. And that would be enough to praise. But he goes on from there. And he says, he gives you another wave. And he says, I, I heal all your diseases. Now, a lot of commentators are split on this. They are trying to say, is it physical healing or is it spiritual healing? And the text and the context would indicate he's talking about spiritual healing here. 
that he heals you from the inside out. He heals the human heart. But he does heal physically sometimes too. And I want to admit to you guys as a pastor, as somebody who's called into those moments in dire circumstances, when you're holding hands with other people and you're praying a bold prayer and you're like, God, I pray that you would heal this person, heal them from this cancer, heal them from this disease, heal them, heal them, heal them. And on one sense, you believe that and you desire that so much. And you are praying, God, I believe that this will happen. But if you were being honest, if I was being honest, there's a part of me sometimes that has that lead a little seed of like, God, are you really going to step in here? Because I know you can, but will you? Because I've seen it where God has healed, and I've seen it where God has decided not to heal in that case, but I'm still praying boldly for that, and I'm tempted in those moments. But there are times where God steps into time and space, and he heals somebody. And I'm thinking about a guy named Tim. Tim was a guy that was at our church and, uh, when I was at, uh, in Westchester, and, and he was an active cyclist. This guy was in shape. I mean, he really took care of himself physically. And one day he started feeling a little bit bad. He said, I'm going to go to the hospital. Goes to the hospital. And how many of you know that cancer doesn't care if you're in shape or not? And we, I went to the hospital with him. He was diagnosed with leukemia. It's pretty dire. And we started praying for Tim. Started praying for his wife. Started praying for his kids. Our church would bring meals to him. We, we, we were praying over him. Groups were praying over him. And what we saw was in the middle of all of that, how God stepped in to time and space. And even though the months ahead of him were brutal, they were also beautiful. And Tim stayed positive and people prayed. And God stepped into that situation. And cancer went into remission, not just for then, but for since then. And somehow God stepped in and healed. And there are times when he does that. And I've seen it where there have been times where he hasn't done that. And, and I need to be reminded that God is telling me, yeah, I'll maybe will heal. Uh, you'll see, you'll pray for healing more than I'll actually heal. But you need to remember, Stephen, I'm able to heal. You need to remember there are times when I do step into time and space. But I tell you what I've seen more often is God step in and heal somebody's heart. I have seen that time and time again, and so have you. I've seen God heal people spiritually. And I'm thinking about Gary. When I was in Miamisburg, I got a, a message from the receptionist. Hey, there's somebody here to see you. I had never met Gary. Gary walked up, and I knew his name was Gary because it was on his shirt. And he came in. His hands were rough. And Gary was there, he had kind, gentle eyes and a rough exterior, and he was a transmission mechanic. And he came into the office when I was serving in Miamisburg, and I was about 26 years old. And he came into my office and he started sharing with me his life story. Started to say that he's a divorce, going through a divorce. He's got a six-year-old boy and he doesn't know what to do and he's a lonely and he doesn't know how to be a good dad, but he wants to be a good dad to his son. And I'm 26 years old talking to this rough transmission mechanic, and I didn't have a lot of answers for him. So I gave him the only thing that I knew to do at 26 years old. I'm like, I'll just tell him about Jesus. You know, I really didn't know what else to do. And, and so I shared with him the bridge illustration. I wrote it out for him. How God's on one side and man's on the other. And sin has separated us from God. And and that somehow God stepped into our lives, into eternity, and, 
and he loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You owe a penalty, Gary, but God paid that penalty. And Gary, this rough transmission mechanic started to cry in my office. And I shouldn't be surprised, but I was surprised by the power of the gospel in his life, to be honest with you. And I was like, whoa, okay. And he's crying, and he says out loud, you're telling me that's how much God loves me? I was like, yeah, Gary. And I didn't know what else to do except to say, hey, we have water. Why not be baptized? You know, literally, I was like, we could go to the worship center right now. It's under renovation. Nobody else is here. I can baptize you. And he goes, that's what I want. And so me and Gary and Jesus, in the middle of that renovation in the worship center, he was baptized that day, and Christ healed a human heart. And I have seen God do that in people's lives time and time again. And God is reminding all of us, listen, don't forget my benefits. I have forgiven you and I also have redeemed you and I have healed you from the inside out. God is in the process of healing us. And how many of you know, if that's all this song was about, that would be enough to praise him for. He forgives us and he redeems us. And then it says, he redeems us, our lives, from the pit. How many of you have ever been in a pit before like that? You know what I'm talking about? A spiritual pit, a life pit, and you're in the muck, and you're in the mire, and I remember, friends, what it, what it smells like and what it feels like. I remember the consequences of being in the pit. I remember the feeling of being stuck in the pit with no way out. I remember the frustration and the loneliness and the consequences of my own behavior in the pit. How many of you remember the pit? And he says, I got to want to tell you, you can get out of that and God redeems you from that. Years ago when I was traveling for Milligan College in a group called Heritage, we were at a camp in, uh, in, uh, in Indiana and we had a pastor come, and he spoke, and he shared a poem that seemed so simple, but he was telling it to a group of junior high students at this week of camp. And it didn't just move the junior high students, it moved me. It seems pretty simple, but has a significant meaning. It goes like this. Mary had a little pig, and it was white as snow. That is, when it had a bath, as you of course might know. But Mary had an awful time to keep that piggy clean, for it was just the dirtiest pig that anyone had ever seen. She'd wash him and she'd scrub him till he would squirm and squeal as if he wanted her to know it was an unfair deal. And then inside his green backyard, he'd play from morn to night, unless he happened to sneak out and lose himself from sight. And then when Mary found him, he'd be blacker than air before. So Mary'd get the soap again and scrub the pig some more. But Mary, poor Mary, thought and wondered much what she could ever do until she figured out a plan, and this she carried through. She took him to a doctor who put the pig to sleep, and then he took his heart right out, but not, of course, to keep. And then he took a little lamb and took his heart out too, but, in, but put, the little, uh, put it in the little pig before the piggy knew. And when the little piggy did awake, he had no more desire to wallow in the mud again or ever in the mire. And as try as hard as e'er he could, he never understood how such a pig as once he was could ever be so good. And so you see, dear friends of mine, you need a new heart too. Just like the little piggy did, the old will never do. If you receive a brand new heart, well, here is how you may. 
accept God's son as savior now and let him in today. And one of the junior high boys raised his hand and said, what happened to the little lamb? And the preacher said, that's heavy too. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. And I don't know why God would want to come to this earth to save a wretch like me and give me a new heart, but he did. On a crisp September morning in 1978 at the Eastern Hills Christian Church in High Point, North Carolina, God saved a wretch like me. And I would love to tell you that all of my life, I did a really good job of staying out of that pit. But boy, the pit is tempting, and the, point, the pit is a challenge. And God, when, we're, when, we, when we go to the pit, the good news is God continues again and again to reach down and to offer us a new position, to offer us a new place to stand. And so maybe you're in the pit today because of what we call unrighteousness. Or maybe you're in the pit today because of what we call self-righteousness, and it's just as bad. The prodigal son ended up in the pigsty, and that was part of the story, and he wanted to get out of the pigsty that he found himself in because of his sin. But his older brother was back at home, folding his arms and judgmental about his brother. And some of you might be in that position, and maybe you identify with that position, and maybe that's the pit that you're in. And here are some clues when you're down in that pit. You might say something like, oh, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe that she said that. They seem so perfect. He seems so righteous. I can't believe that. Well, you're likely in the pit of self-righteousness. If you with crossed arms say, I am so glad I'm not like so-and-so. I am so glad I'm not like them. Then you may be in the pit of self-righteousness. Either way. Either way. It's the same pit. And the Bible says that God redeems from the pit how good he is to step in, reach down, pull us up out of the muck and mire. You can't climb out. You can't get out. You can't work your way out. You're not good enough to get yourself out. You're not bad enough to keep yourself in. You're going to be in the pit, and then God will redeem your pit through his mercy. He will pull you out. His grace reaches in and pulls you up and sets your feet on the rock. And how many of you know, if that's all he did, that would be worth praising him for. If he forgave you, if he pulled you out of that pit, if he, if he healed your diseases, and then he does even more. He says that he redeems your life from the pit, and now he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And listen, if you've ever been in a pit, you get pulled up and set over here you still feel a little bit bad. You still feel a little bit ashamed. You feel guilt. You feel unworthy. You feel unlovable. Even if God redeems you, even if you're out of the pit, you have this tendency to feel like, I'm not worthy. Here's the deal, God. I'm thankful for you, and I'm really thankful that you forgive me, but you just go your way, and I'll go my way, and we'll be fine because I, I just don't feel good enough to be in your presence. And God understands that. And that's why it says, he sets you on solid ground. He does not push you away. He draws you in. He takes a crown. He puts it on your head. And again, much like the story of the prodigal son, 
The father in that story puts the ring on his son's finger and says, you're a son of mine. And God puts a crown on your head to say, you're my son. You're my daughter. We're in relationship. And you're like, yeah, but you don't know. And he's like, yes, I do. I saw you in the pit. I knew exactly what was happening. I pulled you out. You are mine. And I love you. He redeems us. He makes us new. And and by the way, for some of us, that makes us uncomfortable. It might make us feel bad. It might make us feel like there's a gap between my unworthiness and God's grace. There's this distance, and I don't feel worthy to be in his presence. But God comes and makes up the difference. He says, I want to be in relationship with you. I'm not lovable. He makes me lovely. I'm not worthy. He deems me worthy. I'm guilty. He sets me free. I'm an orphan. He calls me a son. I'm, I was once an alien. He draws me near. I was once an enemy. He, he calls me friend. I was once a stranger. Now I'm family. And so when you're out of the pit, you're reminded that God did so much for you. And now he says, you're my child. You're free. And that would be enough, wouldn't it? If that was all there was, if he forgave us, And if he healed us, and if he redeemed us out of the pit, and if now he calls us a child, that would be enough. But he goes on. And and this is so good. He says, you know what he does after that? He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. And those of you who've ever been thirsty and you took a drink, you know what it's like to be satisfied. Those of you who are hungry and you have a good meal, you know what it's like to be satisfied. You're tired and you get a good rest. You're lonely and you have a friend. Now you understand what it means to be satisfied. But God says, I'm going to give you satisfaction that will last. It'll last forever. And that's really important. How many of us have gone to different wells to try to be satisfied? Maybe you went to the well of of your career. You're like, man, I'm going to find my satisfaction in that well. And what you find out is maybe some people made some promises to you in your career and it didn't work out the way that you thought it would. Or maybe there was some relationships that you had and you went to that well and that ended up disappointing you in some way. Maybe there was frustration or hurt or what have you and that well ended up being empty or maybe you found it in some addiction or maybe you found it in some some goal that you had and said, that's going to be the well that I go to. And in that pursuit, I will find, I will find what, what it means to be satisfied. And what all of us find out is that each one of those wells, as good as they might have been, seemed to fall short. And it reminds me of Jesus in the book of John when he encountered the woman at the well and she had an emptiness And she would go to that well over and over again. And she had multiple relationships. She could not keep a relationship together. She had all kinds of challenges in her life. She was rejected by her her town. And she was there in the middle of the day. And here's what Jesus said. You're coming to this well for water. But every time you come to this well, you're going to be thirsty again. I will give you something that forever satisfies. I will give you living water, and those who drink it will never go thirsty. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, he's saying, when you have a relationship with me, when you come to this well, you will find what true satisfaction is all about. And if you look over your life today, I bet you could look at different wells that you have gone to, and you look back and think, nope, that one didn't satisfy 
Nope, that one was a challenge. Nope, I thought that was good for a while. Nope, that was difficult. Nope, I thought, nope. And then Jesus is like, look, if you want true satisfaction, come to the well that never goes dry. And then he says, he renews you like an eagle. And when you think about an eagle, you think about strength and power and beauty. But how many of you realize that there are times, there are seasons where an eagle doesn't look that great? Sometimes we feel like that eagle on the left, like that beautiful eagle, so, so stellar, so strong. But do you know several times in an eagle's life, they molt? Did you know that? And the eagle on the right is not that attractive. And you see its pin feathers, and it molts off that, that layer of feathers, and it looks more like the eagle on the right. And some of you guys, you feel like the eagle on the right today. You, you don't feel that worthy. You don't feel that good in your life. You feel like maybe you're molting, maybe like you're losing some things in your life. Maybe you don't feel as strong as the eagle, but here's what the scripture says. He renews you like the eagle. Your life is renewed, not just when you become a Christian, but you're renewed season after season after season. You're renewed day by day by day. And you may be in a season where you look like that eagle on the right. You feel like that eagle on the right. And yet God's like, I've got better things ahead for you. I've got some better things. You're going to look stronger. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be back to that shine that I had for you. You're going to be back to that strength and that flight pattern that I had for you. Now, that was supposed to be my big climactic ending there. Um, thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. If I knew that's all it took, I would say that every weekend, literally. That would be my, that'd be my conclusion. Verse 14 through 17 I want to read to you because something happened this week that caused me to want to add these verses out of the text of Psalm 103. Listen to what it says. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And, and, and what happened this week that caused me to think about these verses, that life is but a mist that's here for a little while and then it's gone. There was a tragedy that happened at my daughter's university, at Milligan University, where I went to college as well. And their cross-country team uh, was in Williamsburg, Virginia. And the men's team was there for a race that day. And they were going to race actually the next day on Friday. This was on a Thursday this past week. And at 6 p.m., uh, several of the boys went out to run. They left their hotel. And they went out just for a pre-run uh, the night before the race. A drunk driver came over um, the, uh, the road and hit those boys and drove off. He later was found because he uh, ran into a barrier and the police were able to apprehend him. Three of the boys were injured. One of the boys was injured and released from the hospital. He had hurt his leg and his ankle. Another boy named Alex is a senior at Milligan and he broke his leg, dislocated his shoulder, bruised his lungs. And another boy named Eli Kramer 
20-year-old sophomore from Murfreesville, Tennessee, was Murfreesboro, Tennessee, was killed in the accident. And because of that, this week, Milligan has been mourning and has been celebrating his life. And this hits to home because I have a 20-year-old sophomore at Milligan. It hits to home because I feel for his family. It hits at home because of our connection to Milligan. But Alex Mortimer, the senior from Lexington, Kentucky, who was also struck, gave a message from the hospital that he sent over the internet to his fellow students at Milligan University. And I want you to watch this video and think about where he is in his life, what he just experienced, and the message that he has for all of you. Watch what Alex has to say. Hello, Milligan University. This is Alex speaking to you from the hospital bed, and I just want to give an update on my current status. I was just informed that it seems the worst of my injuries is my broken leg and a dislocated shoulder. I want to exhort and thank all of you all for praying for me, for the Milligan team, and for the university and institution. I just, I, I want to say that moments like this make you realize what is and is not important in your life. And my exhortation to our school tonight from Williamsburg, Virginia, is do not, do not forsake or discount the beauty and the gift of life. It is like a vapor and it flashes before our eyes. I just want to thank you all for praying for me and for the for the Kramer family, for the Baldy family, for the cross country and track team. And I, my desire that as an institution and university is that tragedy, even in as sorrowful and, and devastating as it is, that there is a beauty that can arise from ashes. That's what the scripture says in the book of Psalms. And so my exhortation, Milligan University, to you is to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know him, he wants to know you. He wants to know you. He loves you and he died for a relationship with you. And he doesn't want us to have to spend eternity apart from him. And hell, he loves us so dearly. And he wants fellowship with us. And in as tragic as this is, and in just the brief moments of me being awake, I can feel God's presence in a way I've never felt. And so the hope that I exhort you, Milligan University, in this time is that we would cling to the Lord because the scripture says that he will never let the righteous be shaken. For those of you who may not know him, but you care for us, I still thank you so much. I want to let you know, though, the most important thing for me right now is that Jesus Christ, the God of this universe, will be exalted and that every single one of us at Milligan University would have a relationship with him. God bless you all, and thank you, every single one of you that's praying for this team. Have a wonderful night, and as time and ability permits, there will be updates sent. God bless you. I was so moved by his message to the university in the middle of tragedy, and I texted Becca, and I said, now that's the kind of guy you need to be on the lookout for right there, right there. And uh, he's married, so it's not him, but somebody like him. Somebody like him. 
Because why? Because in the middle of tragedy and hardship and challenge and difficult, difficulty, this is a young man who realizes what's most important in life, that Eli, his friend, lived a life on purpose, made a tremendous impact on the university through his life that he lived for those 20 years, and now is making an impact in his life and his death to the rest of the students on the campus of Milligan, and I pray far beyond that. And so whatever you're going through today, whatever you're struggling with today, remember that God forgives you. He redeems your life. If you are in a situation or a time of your life where you're molting and you feel like maybe you don't have the strength, God gives you the strength for the day. He renews your strength day by day. He gives you renewed purpose. He forgives your sin. He pulls you out of the pit. And for all of those reasons, we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David wrote that psalm uh, a thousand years before Jesus came. And then in 1525, a German uh, preacher wrote that song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And in 1719, Isaac Watts wrote that song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And in 1974, there was a little boy in England. He was born into a very dysfunctional family. His father had committed suicide when he was seven, but he didn't learn about that, per, that reason for his death until he was 10. And it left scars on him. His mother married a very abusive stepfather who eventually ended up in prison for abusing the family. That is a hard life for a young man. But sometime later in his youth, he went in to a mission meeting in England where he heard the gospel and he was converted to Christ, but he was also a good musician and he wanted to celebrate what Christ had done in his life and he started writing songs. And when he came to Psalm 103, he wrote a song based on Psalm 103 and we sang it today earlier in the worship service called 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And that little boy was Matt Redman. And we worship with him as he worships with his Savior. From a thousand years before Christ to the coming of Christ to 1525 to 1719 to 1974 and beyond, we continue to join with all of these individuals who say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And that's why we worship. We forget not his benefits. We worship who God is and what he's done for us. God, today we just say thank you. We want to give you that praising. And we want to say thank you for all that you've done in our lives and for us. Today we pray, God, for the Baldy family. Pray that he would continue to recover. Pray for Alex and his family and his wife as she cares for him. Pray that he continue to have an impact in his life, that he would use this moment to really continue to live a life on purpose. God, I pray for the Milligan campus and university, and I pray that this will be a defining moment in the life of the students there at Milligan University, that they would uh, realize the importance and value of Christ in their life. And God, I pray for the impact of Eli to go far beyond his 20 years, and that God, that his story would be told year after year after year, and the impact that Eli has 
in his life. And God, today we also pray for his mom and his dad. We pray for his family. And God, we pray that you would give them comfort. Pray that you would give them peace in the midst of tragedy. And God, we also pray for the man named Jose who was involved in this accident and caused this accident. And God, we pray that you would step into his pit and that you would redeem his heart and that, God, that you would give him renewal in the middle of all this as well. God, thank you for your forgiveness that no one is beyond it. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.